Well, good morning. Good morning. My name's Ann Hansen. I'm the Connections Pastor here at Emmanuel. And I think they did this on purpose. Three songs, nothing else, because they always say, you're going to go too long. So uh, I'm excited this morning because um, this morning we're going to jump that right in to where we left off recently. We've been in the, a series on the Sermon on the Mount for months now. Um, we've been looking at Matthew's chapter, uh, chapters uh, 5, 6, 7, 4, 5, 6, all around that area. And um, we have been going almost verse by verse, thought by thought, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to jump in this morning. But today, before we jump in, I just want to ask a question. How many of you walked in this morning with some things that you were concerned about? Maybe you're anxious about something, you're worried about something. If you're brave enough, just raise your hand. You're like, I got some stuff I'm worried about. Phew. Okay, that makes me feel better because our topic this morning is about anxiety. And we're going to read, I'm going to give you, I'm just going to give you like a sneak preview. You don't even have to put the slide up yet because the scripture passage we're looking at is long this morning. I'm just going to tell you right up front. But the first verse, here's what I'm afraid. You're going to hear the first verse of Jesus's words and you're going to check out. Because when you hear the first line, you're going to, I, I can hear it now and this is how it would go in my head. Oh my gosh. Preachers always make it sound so easy. And life is harder than you actually know. So I'm going to point that out right now because what I want you to do is, is think with me about this transition. Last week, Pastor Mark, he preached on the passage before this. What was the topic? Anybody remember? Come on. Money. Money, right? Jesus was talking about the fact that we cannot serve, we cannot love both God and money. His point was, that if we, if, we, if we fall in love with God, money has to come in its proper perspective. If we begin to pursue the things of life and we begin to pursue the stuff that money buys, somehow it rises up and all of a sudden we realize it's in a position above God. And so Jesus, in this whole topic of the upside-down kingdom of God, is trying to say, this is what the world does. This is what people who don't know me do. They, they pursue these things. But if you believe in me, you're going to constantly, I love, I'm going to read it because I want to make sure I don't get it wrong. I loved the phrase that Pastor Mark said last week. He said this. I mean, the reality is, is that money is something we all have, right? We have to have. To live, you have to have at least some money. So he said last week, money is a normal and necessary part of our lives that we're going to have to actively and constantly monitor and dethrone. Anybody else catch that last week? That's been going through my head, right? I mean, every day I got to decide how am I going to spend money? What am I going to save? What's the role of money? And there have been seasons in life where that's risen up and then it's, then it's been like, oh, right, right, right. No, I, I want to trust God. So put it in his perspective. I think that's the same thing. It's like Jesus is continuing that thought as he moves into this thought this morning. It's like he's saying anxiety and worry to some degree will always be a part of our lives, but we're always gonna have to monitor and dethrone it. How about that? I mean, God wants to empower us to have victory and freedom, not necessarily over anxiety, 
But right in the middle of it, right in the, it, right in the thick of it, he wants us to constantly monitor and dethrone it so that we can put it in its proper perspective beneath God. So that being said, I want you to stand with me as we read from God's word. You ready? These aren't my words. Can I just tell you that? These aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. So if you don't like it, talk to the author. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. We're going to read from a translation you may not be familiar with. It's the voice translation. Here is the bottom line. Do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about how you're going to clothe your body. For living is about more than merely eating. And the body is about more than dressing up. Look at the birds in the sky. They don't store food for winter. They don't plant gardens. They don't sow or reap. And yet they're always fed because your heavenly father feeds them. And you are even more precious to him than a beautiful bird. I mean, if he looks after them, of course he will look after you. Worrying does not do any good. Who here can claim to add even an hour to his life by worrying? Nor should you worry about clothes. I mean, consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They do not work or weave or sew, and yet their garments are stunning. Even King Solomon, dressed in his most regal garb, was not as lovely as the lilies. And think about grassy fields. The grasses are here now, but they'll be dead by winter. And yet God adorns them so radiantly. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith, you who have no trust? So do not consume yourselves with questions like, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Unbelievers, outsiders, they make themselves frantic over such questions. They don't realize that your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you too. So do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Living faithfully is a large enough task for today. Whew. Let's pray. Lord, it's no accident that we're in this passage today. It's also no accident that every person who's here and listening to this message is known by you. So would you do whatever you want to do as we unpack it together this morning? Maybe you want to comfort us, maybe convict us, maybe challenge us, but above all, would we feel your presence as we unpack this passage together? Amen. Amen. Maybe seated. So it was the spring of 1990. That to me feels like yesterday. The spring of 1990, I was a, a senior at Eastern Nazarene College. And it seemed to me that life was just beautifully falling into place. I was 21 years old. 
I was engaged to be married. I was finishing up all of my college courses for a degree in education. I was doing my final semester of student teaching. The finish line of graduation was in sight. I had job opportunities to consider. We had our first apartment lined up. But at some point, I discovered that something inside of me was choking. I'll never forget when I started to wake up in the middle of the night with my clothes and my sheets, I mean, literally wrapped so tight around me. Everything had come off the bed. I would wake up and I don't know what was worse, that feeling or the feeling of actually being awake and not being able to get stuff off, ripping it off of my, you know, of my body trying to get free. I was laying in, I mean, I would lay in a pool of sweat and I can remember in those days having these crazy dreams where birds were attacking my insides. And I went through a season where it was like, I mean, I, I would look at birds and it would kind of like get me anxious because I would, I would, I'd, I'd close my eyes and wake in the middle of the night and the birds were sometimes coming from the outside in and other times the birds were eating their way out of me. I would wake up just panicked and often would call my parents at two or three in the morning just because I was so overwhelmed. That was my first experience, my first real experience with anxiety. It was a season that lasted for a few months, and quite honestly, it really rocked me. Though it was actually normal to struggle with general fears about the future. I mean, I was moving into adulthood. Wouldn't, weren't we all at a season of our time feeling like, how is this all going to come together? Like you knew what life looked like, and then there's a day where you don't. And you're kind of wondering, how's this working? I mean, I was making huge decisions, which I discovered were actually almost paralyzing to me because there were so many choices. I had chosen a spouse, I was planning my wedding, I was getting ready for graduation, deciding on jobs and careers, figuring out housing, we needed to buy a car, and all of a sudden it hit me, the power of my student loan debt. And though those, many of those things were actually exciting, and on the outside, I was talking to people and being like, oh man, things are really coming together. Because they were. There was something going on inside where I was literally feeling strangled by the fear of making the wrong decisions in any one of those areas. You know that feeling when you're just like, I don't know, if I screw up this decision, it, it, might, it might affect the rest of my life. And you know, I, I, just, I went through a season where it really, really wrecked me. Though I'm not typically an anxious person, there have certainly been plenty of times where scriptures like we just read that say, do not worry about your life, feel like God is almost mocking. You ever get that sense? You read scripture and God's trying to settle you down and you're just like, oh, you don't even know. I mean, don't worry about my life. Lord, you obviously don't see all these things and I don't even have any control over them and I'm not sure what's happening. Anxiety is complicated. It can be biological, physiological, hormonal, psychological, situational. And though anxiety is not only spiritual, there's always a spiritual component to anxiety. Anxiety is real. I mean, those moments, I felt like there was nothing more real than the anxious thoughts that were stirring up inside of me. But anxiety is not in and of itself all bad. 
I mean, go back to that college experience. It is completely normal to be concerned about the next steps of life. I mean, we do need cars. We do need a place to live. We do need a job. And so all of those things were completely normal. And in fact, those, those fears were actually a motivator because what it actually did is gave me the opportunity to do the hard things when I felt overwhelmed. I had to interview, I had to write a resume, we had to come up with a budget, we had to make plans, we had to you know, actually do something. And actually, I think what did that was the fuel that came with those, those, you know, those, those worries or anxious, anxious thoughts. You know, normal levels of anxiety seem to lie on this one end of the spectrum. You know, even this morning, I woke up, and had butterflies in my stomach. I mean, I don't preach all the time, so I woke up just like, whew, okay, here we go. You know, because in my heart, there's so much I want you to understand, and I actually want you to, like, I wish I could just hold you by the collar and be like, let me tell you what Jesus wants to do, but it's so hard, and, and so there's these normal anxious feelings that come in the midst of that. And along the spectrum, maybe we get to the place where it gets a little more complicated, right? Like, who hasn't? sat down to do bills at some season of life and realized there are more bills than there is money. That's a whole new level, right? All of a sudden, that though can motivate us to decide I need to spend less or I need to sell some stuff or I need to maybe take on a new part-time job to make up the difference for a season. Right? I mean, you see how anxiety can actually produce some very positive results in our life. And yet, as it moves along the spectrum, sometimes we can get to the place where we let the things that are normal get out of control. And along that spectrum, from mild to moderate, I mean, I could, there have been times when paying the bills has been a complicated process. When I look at it and I think, I have a choice. Am I going to stay here and let it, let it consume me, or am I going to move on? And then there's the end of the spectrum where it's just, you know, our, our bodies are responding in a way we can't, we can't seem to stop. Most often, regardless of where we fall on that spectrum, there's some type of physical response to anxiety. You know that feeling, right? Your heart beats faster, you're having a hard time catching your breath, your stomach's churning, you have trouble sleeping, you're irritable. I mean, there are real physical symptoms to anxiety. Anxiety also affects our mind. It can show up in intrusive thoughts, in disturbing things that we think about that we're just like, wait, where did that even come from? Like that thought, like the birds eating me, I never had that happen. I never even had a bird, like, touch me. But there was something about it that those birds just felt so real. There's also, you know, feelings that are accompanied with anxiety, feelings of panic and fear. Sometimes that can be simply just thinking about what's coming up, a normal thing like the first day of school, the first day at a new job, heading to a doctor's appointment. It doesn't matter what it's for, it always makes me anxious, right? I mean, we're nearing retirement and there's this feeling of like, do I have enough? Am I ready? Am I there? But, you know, normal concern can become an unhealthy disorder when we start to obsess about the things that could happen but probably won't. 
and it crosses the line when it affects our ability to function. I mean, I remember in college, a girl that I roomed with for a year or two, every time I had a headache, as serious as a heart attack, she would say, maybe you have cancer. I'd be like, I don't think I have cancer. I don't know, I mean, you had a headache last week. And then it would be, I mean, I think you have a brain tumor. I was like, what the, I mean, she, but I mean, that's where she jumped right away. And then it got to be a joke, you know, where I would just be like, I do not have a brain tumor, but do you have any Tylenol? You know, I mean, like, there's just that question, but there's this spectrum along the line. I mean, anxiety is on the rise. I'm not going to even get into everything about that because, you know, we're hearing reports just last month, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services released a report saying that our country is facing an unprecedented mental health crisis. And this crisis isn't just affecting adults. Their report says it's devastating young people. And people from every background are impacted. In fact, those results have also been part of a longer study that forced our government to make, um, set up a hotline last year. Anybody heard of the 988 hotline? It's designed to say, at any moment when you have a crisis, no matter where you are, what state you're in, dial 988, and you'll get somebody who will talk you through. It's a suicide prevention hotline that will, that, that's, that's you know, interconnected throughout the country. Because they realized that people who are struggling with anxiety it don't have those attacks conveniently during office hours. So we need help in the middle of the night or in any time of day on the weekend. Um, there are stats out that are consistent across the board that say currently 19% of the U.S. population of adults, which is 40 million adults, which is one in every five adults are affected by anxiety, making anxiety the most common mental health condition. Half of adults ages 18 to 24 in 2023 we haven't hardly had six months of it yet, have already, 50% of adults between 18 and 24 are reporting symptoms of anxiety and depression. According to psychiatry.org, anxiety disorders are the most common mental health condition and will affect nearly 30% of all adults at some time in their life. So if you raised your hand, wherever you are on the spectrum, you know anxiety is real. And we're finding that all over the place. But let's get back to what Jesus tells us not to be anxious about. Matthew 6, 25, in the New Living Translation, says it this way. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I start, you know, as you start to prepare a sermon, the first thing you do is kind of hang out in the scripture for a while that you're, you're going to talk about. And I read that, and I was just like, well, that's not, I mean, that, that's not something I really worry about. I'm not saying there aren't people even in this room or listening online that are food insecure or don't have housing. I'm not saying that those aren't real problems. But if we were to pull the room, I feel pretty confident that most of us aren't wondering if we'll have food when we get home today. Most of us aren't wondering, like, you know, what will I drink? Did the, if I turn this faucet on in my house, is the water going to come out? And most of us 
probably like me. I might not like everything I have in my closet, but there's stuff in my closet to wear. So it's easy to dismiss. Well, maybe Jesus, you know, he was saying, don't worry about those things. You're like, oh, good, I don't worry because I don't worry about those things. But I couldn't help but, you know, think, let's go back to the people that Jesus was talking to 2,000 plus years ago. He was talking to a group of people on a hillside on northern, in northern Israel. And as we right here, right now, would define poverty in 2023, most of the people in that crowd that were listening to Jesus were poor. What they earned in one day was literally all they had to live on the next day. One season of drought, and they actually had no food to harvest. So insecurity about food was a reality. You know, if they wanted a drink of water, even today you can go to places in Israel and other places in the world where you want water, you don't just turn on a tap. You have to walk for it. You have to work for it. And, and Jesus was talking to people with, about very basic needs. And he was saying, do not worry about your life. I mean, this is just like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Everything Jesus said sounded absurd. They're sitting there saying, don't worry about my life. You have no idea, Jesus. You have no idea what, I, what I'm going through. And he wasn't saying, just stop. He wasn't saying, don't plant any seed. The crops will just come. He was saying, trust me and don't obsess or agonize over what you can't control. I mean, today our worries are different, aren't they? For the most part, our worries have to do with like exhaustion or a lack of genuine relationships where we actually feel loved and cared about. We, we maybe feel a real lack of purpose or meaning or we're dealing with a terrifying medical diagnosis and the lack of the money to pay for it. We do have job insecurity. We do have family relationships that, that are falling apart in, in certain areas of our lives. We have concerns about our future, like will I have enough money to be able to make it through retirement and who's gonna take care of me as I get older? Add to that the worldwide tension uh, uh, racial tensions, political instability, an unpredictable economy, widespread physical and emotional abuse. Anybody anxious yet? We, have, we certainly have reason to be worried. It's, it, it's a reality that there is hard stuff in our life, but even today, in 2023, Jesus is stepping into all those spaces, and he's still saying, do not worry about your life. Actually, I've discovered anxiety isn't our problem. Not in and of itself. I mean, let me explain it this way. In the same year that I was having those panic attacks or whatever they were uh, my senior year, I was also driving a 1976 Grand Torino, which had seen better days. And I'll never forget, it was in the midst of all of that chaos that I just had this need, I had to get home. And so I remember getting in my car and, and thinking, I've got to go home. I, I don't have any money to get there, but fortunately there are no tolls going that direction in, in those days from Boston to, to Philly, and then I could get 20 bucks from my parents to get back. I, I got in the car and I was like, ugh, this check engine light keeps driving me nuts. So I took my wallet and sat it in front of it. Oh, like I, that thing, it just keeps blinking. So... You know where I'm going, right? 
I make the trip from Boston to Norristown. And as I'm driving down the road on the New Jersey Turnpike, I see signs for the Molly Pitcher rest stop. About an hour from home. And not just that light, but all the lights around my wallet were blinking. And I was like, the car's not working. It was just going slower and slower. And I'm like, get into the rest stop. Get me into the rest stop. Where I could call collect and call my dad and say, I can't, I can't get home. You know, it's interesting to me that the problem wasn't the check engine light, right? The problem was beneath the check engine light, but that was an alarm. It was an alert to say, something's wrong here. Found out later, it was the alternator. Why don't they just put a light on that says, the alternator is going bad? (laughs) Doesn't work that way, right? So all of a sudden, check engine, check engine, Engine's working fine for me, I'm driving. You know, all of a sudden there's no power. Anxiety is like that. It's a signal, it's an alarm, saying that something is out of whack within us, that our brain is detecting some kind of threat or danger. Anxiety is not a permanent medical condition. It's not our identity. It is not an excuse to stop living. It's a signal. Those anxious feelings, those anxious things are a signal to tell us something is wrong under the hood. But this isn't just a TED talk about worry and anxiety. I mean, I want to tell you, there might be some very helpful resources, like a doctor or a counselor, but I'm not in that world. I'm not an expert on cognitive behavioral therapy, I can't prescribe medicine, but can I tell you what I do know? I know Jesus. I know the one who said, if you really believe in me, then do not worry about your life. He's the one who's saying, hey, these are some anxious situations, get it, that's real. But don't stay here. Don't, don't, don't keep looping here. You know, in, in, in anxiety, we have this way, even people who say they believe in Jesus, have a way of quickly turning our eyes off of Jesus and onto ourselves, onto our problems, getting to the place where just like money gets out of control and we have to say, whoa, 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 you are subject to the Father. As Christians, we can let anxiety and worry and despair get out of control to such a place where we need to be called out on the fact that, wait a minute, where are you looking? Where's your, who's your God? Where do all the things that you actually need come from? We are so determined to avoid pain. We're so, uh, you know, uh, we don't want to experience any uncomfortable feelings of any kind, to be honest. So we're quick, even as people who say, I love Jesus, I trust Jesus. We just, I mean, we just sang, right? Even when I don't see it, you're working. I trust you. I love you. You're my firm foundation. But honestly, it's easy to do that right here. Too often, we're quick to turn to anything that will silence the anxiety alarms within us. We'd rather go to the doctor and say, can you prescribe a pill? 
We'd rather stuff our feelings, blame someone else, push people away. We'd rather hole up in a dark room somewhere, immerse ourselves in our jobs and work 24 seven, or on the opposite side, avoid work at all costs. We'd rather loop and loop about our troubles, talking about them with anybody who will give us a second of time, and sometimes we'll just simply drown our, ourselves in addictive behaviors. Anything to silence the alarms of anxiety that are screaming at us to say, hey, slow down. Let's take a look inside. Anything to avoid having to be quiet and seek the one who actually knows exactly what we need. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. <coughs> Verse 31, so Jesus says, do not consume yourself with these questions. What, you, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Add in our questions today. Will my money make it through retirement? Will I ever find a job I love? Will I fail if I try this new thing that I think I should be doing? Will I ever have friends? Will anybody ever love me? Outsiders, Jesus says, people who are ungodly. In one translation, it says, people who do not know God make themselves frantic over such questions because they don't realize that their heavenly father knows or is fully aware of exactly what you need. In the midst of anxiety, I know it's not maybe feeling quite this simple, but the reality is that the signal of anxiety is actually giving us an opportunity to make some choices. It's a signal that that's, you know, gives us the, the opportunity to ask some questions. What am I gonna do with this perceived threat or fear? Will I give it control in my thoughts? Will I, will I, will I just like camp out here? Or am I going to take control and take these things, things to the Father? Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 94, 19. If God had not been there for me, I never would have made it. But the minute I said, I'm slipping, I'm falling, your love, God, took hold and held me fast. When I was upset and beside myself, you calmed me down and cheered me up. I mean, anxiety is nothing new. In the Bible, if Jesus was talking about it, and anxiety, I mean, go all the way back to the beginning in the garden, there was this anxiousness, this worry about the future that caused even just sin to begin in the first place was the question of, I don't know if God's holding out on me and I don't know if I can trust him. We've been experiencing anxious thoughts and worries for all of time. All through the Bible, you hear people admitting that they were anxious. There's nothing wrong with that, but we can't stay there. For the most part, my response to anxiety is my responsibility. So there are some antidotes to anxiety that are rooted in scripture and Christian practice that I want to share with you. If you're dealing with like the swing in anxiety, I want to encourage you to pull out of your phone, open a note, a blank, blank note, put a couple of these things in. Open up your bulletin and write some of these things down. I'm going to give you a whole list of some antidotes to the things that um, concern us. And I'm going to start, first of all, with looking at Philippians chapter 4. In this, in this um, 
Scripture, Paul, the apostle, says pretty much the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 6. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, anybody know what it says? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Jesus Christ. I love this because in verse six, Paul's using the Greek word, merim now, when he says, do not worry. In other translations, it says, be anxious for nothing. And he's using this Greek word, merim now, which means dwelling on fearful or anxious thoughts. It's from the root word, meriso, which means to divide, pull apart, or cut into pieces. I was thinking, I mean, that's kind of how we describe anxiety, right? We might say like, I don't know, I'm just all torn up inside. It's like everything feels like it's falling apart. My world is just crumbling. And, and, and Paul's using this idea as he talks about anxiety, saying, when everything is torn up and falling apart, do not dwell on the fearful and anxious thoughts. He's not condemning us for being anxious, but he's suggesting that though those feelings are inevitable and will come in our lives, we do not have to stay there. We don't have to camp out there. Paul's not just saying, hey, knock it off. You're fine. Move on. Both Jesus and Paul are backing up their statements with the promise that says, your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. And he's also saying, let's pray about it in the sense that if we talk about our concerns with God, if we tell him, hey, God, I think this is what I need, he will hear us and he will actually help us figure out what we actually need, not what we just think we need. You know, prayer is such a powerful antidote because when we're anxious, and that sh if that's our first response, it's a practice of giving up control. It's a practice of surrender that's helping us get the right perspective on things. Have you ever had something that just like is starting to run in your head and you sit down with a friend and as you talk it out, you realize, wait a minute. Your friend says, hey, it's not as bad as you think. Hold on a second. Think this through. I think that's the opportunity. If we think that prayer is just simply going to God and saying, oh God, you know, praying, you know, like in the King James, <laughs> then we've missed the point. What God wants to do is hear our hearts, hear our anxious thoughts, and he wants to enter into a, into a dialogue with us. And prayer is almost like taking your car with its check engine light blinking to the mechanic and saying, hey, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm like revving up. And so he's able to help us figure out what's really going on. Go back to Matthew 6, 32. Your heavenly father is fully aware of exactly what you need. I love that. Do you realize that God has not only just said that, but he has taken on the responsibility of caring for us. If we trust him, he promises that he will take care of us. It may not look like we thought it would. It may not turn out like we were hoping, dreaming, planning. Many of those things that I was worried about in 1990 look completely opposite in 2023. 
But I can honestly say he's never failed me yet. Like we sang this morning, right? He won't. Let me give you a couple more antidotes to worry. Not only prayer, but worship. It says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry, pray about everything. But it also says, thank him for all he's done. You know, one of the greatest antidotes to worry is gratitude. And sometimes it can sound completely like, oh, brother. (laughs) This is my response when somebody says, you should start a gratitude journal. Write down all the things you're thankful for and, you know, keep keep track of that. I, I tend to roll my eyes at stuff like that. But what I found is that writing those things down is powerful because what it does is it forces me out of obsessing over a past I can't change and and forces me to get my head out of a future that I can't control and helps me to focus on the present. Right here, right now, here's where God is making a way. I can't see it for the future. I can't change it from the past. But the fact that I got up this morning, the fact that, you know, go list, list, list of the things. So worship is not only music and the things that we might quickly say are worship, but gratitude is an act of worship. A a third antidote is, again, I think it's easy to be like, of course you're going to say this. Get into the word of God. But can I tell you something? If you really want to calm the anxious thoughts in the midst of anxious times, get to know who God is and what his promises are. Sometimes we think, well, God hasn't, you know, fulfilled his promises. And then if we actually get into the word, we'll realize we've, we've said this is a promise of God that he hasn't actually said is a promise. And, and the reality is we need to do that ourselves. Sometimes we're content to just listen to what other people have to say about God without getting to know what he says about himself. If you're not sure where to start with that, how do I get in the word of God to, dis, you know, to quiet my anxiety alarms? Go uh, download the Bible app. In the search bar, type anxiety. There are a gazillion devotionals to look at that every day will start pointing you into the, the truth of who God is. You go to Google and just simply say, Bible stuff about anxiety. We'll find it. Recently, we had uh, the IF gathering where we had about 130 women together a couple weeks ago. And in the midst of that, I was challenged by one of the speakers who actually said, I actually don't need all of my circumstances to change. What I need is to change my view of God. I've really been thinking about that. I mean, the reality of it is, if our worries and anxieties are so big, that we cannot seem to get out from under the weight of them, then I'm, I'm convinced that our view of God is too small. I mean, there's no problem that God can't solve. There's no anxiety for the future if I really trust him because he's already there. He's been here, he's here now, and he's going to be here in the future. He's already seen the beginning from the end. So if I trust him, then I have, you know, then then that will begin to lessen my anxious thoughts. But if I want, if my fears and problems are too big, 
I, I, want, I encourage you to ask yourself the question, is my view of God big enough? Another antidote to anxiety, maybe should have been at the top of the list. But hear me on this. Persistent worry demonstrates a lack of trust in God. An antidote to worry not only is gratitude, but it's also a statement of trust. Can I tell you this? It's okay to say to God, I don't really trust you in this. He's not gonna be like, what are we gonna do about that? (laughs) Right? I mean, he wants to hear our thoughts. He wants to know our hearts. So even though trust is the antidote to that, I mean, I think we are easy to cop out and, and, and not really push into this. But if we really want to do that, we can say, Lord, I don't know if I trust you. So help me trust you. I think that so often we just haven't even tried God. We haven't even, you know, we haven't like... we. We have found him lacking, but we've actually never even actually pursued his, his perspective and his answer. And sometimes in the midst of it, that can happen, that we, we just feel like we're running ahead, but we, we need to ask the question, do I really trust at the end of the day, even if I make all the wrong decisions in trying to follow him, if I make every decision wrong, do I trust that the Holy Spirit is big enough and powerful enough to redirect my course? He can do that. And he wants to do that. Um, but sometimes we get stuck on, God, I don't, if I'm honest, I don't, I don't think I can trust you. I don't know that you love me. I'm not sure that, you know, you really know what you're doing. So I'm going to go with my plan. And he's inviting us into a place where we can um, lay that anxiety on him. I've been thinking, you know, sometimes the question is, is anxiety a sin I think that's a fair question. Not all anxiety is sin, but when we who say we are God's children continually stop trusting, when we continually keep turning away from him and turning to our own way, at some point we're going to have to deal with the root of all of that. And that lack of trust is not the way that God has called his children to live. At some point, letting those alarms go and go and go and ignoring every opportunity to silence them begins to be a sin issue that we have to wrestle with. I I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, to take the first step for settling the war within you by taking just one step in God's direction. It's fair to say, Lord, I don't, I, I just, I don't, I don't have the answer. And I'm not even sure you're the answer but I'm going to start. Let me give you a couple quick other antidotes. Patience. You know, if we're in a journey with anxiety, it doesn't fix itself in a moment. Maybe not for months, maybe not for years. We may live in anxious circumstances and systems for a long time, but what God wants to do is help us see his perspective that says, I know your needs and I will take care of them. Uh, Another one, this is another one that I used to roll my eyes out at. Sometimes we just need to simplify our lives and take a breath. You read anything, not just Christian stuff, but you read like what the world has to say about how to settle anxiety, always there's a conversation about breathing exercises, taking a deep breath. 
I have to tell you, it, that's actually been one of those things that has calmed anxiety within me on a regular basis. You could Google something like the 478 breathing technique. For me, it's been, the, it's been the thing in the middle of the night when all of a sudden some of my thoughts tend to start running. Breathe in for four, hold it for seven, breathe out for eight. I found myself saying, like in the midst of it, oh geez, that actually works. <laughs> it's true. Um, Another, you know, another antidote, rest and sleep. Sometimes we just need to quiet our bodies. Other times we need to decide, and God wants to help us do this. Do we decide to actually sleep and rest, or do we actually need to get up and actually do something? It's way easier when we're struggling with, with anxiety to just, you know, want to hole up in our house and close the curtains and, and stay on the couch. But actually another antidote to um, anxiety is to actually get up and serve someone else. When we begin to look at, at what other people need and get out of ourselves, we begin to see that our anxiety begins to shift. And one final uh, thought before we close is the, is the antidote of connecting with other people. You might need to be with a family doctor or a counselor. You but the reality of it is, sometimes we just need to step out and build some relationships. You know, in the middle of a crisis, a support group is super helpful. Um, sometimes medication is, is super helpful. But I want to encourage you to see that God wants us to be connected to each other so that we're known well enough that when our minds are racing, he's able to have other people give us perspective and invite us in. The final two antidotes are surrender and quiet. You know what I've discovered? The enemy loves to make me frantic. The enemy loves to drive and push and condemn and stand accusingly and say, you're not enough. You're, if you make this wrong decision, you're going to ruin everything. He, he can yell at me and say, you're too much. Or nobody really wants you. Or you're going to run out of money. Or, well, see, you're never going to change. Or you're going to end up alone. And he tries to play out the worst case scenarios in my mind. But the Spirit of God slows me down. He slows my heart. Slows my pace. He pulls me close and he whispers, hey, I've got you. I know exactly what you need. I love you. You bring joy to my heart. And would you just relax? I've got this. And sometimes he's actually said, what's the worst that could happen? And you know, my mind goes, oh. And he says, First of all, 99% of the time, that never happens. But the other times, he says, what if it does? What if it is as bad as you think it's going to be? Do you not know that I've got you? I'm your perfect heavenly father, and I know what you need. So before we go this morning, I want to give you a few minutes in the quiet to ask these questions. What do you find yourself worrying about the most? What causes anxiety to 
to get you frantic inside? Do you trust God with your daily needs or are you relying on yourself to provide for now or the future? So I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna look at a, a music video and as you watch the lyrics for that, as you ask those questions of God, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. First Peter 5, 7 says this, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. In another translation it reads, since God cares for you, let him carry all your burdens and worries. So you can do that in your seat, you can come to the altar, but as we have a few minutes of quiet, would you just surrender those things to him? You are in this moment I want 
verses 31 and 32 in the message say it this way. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Don't you think he'll take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God or the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. So steep your life in God's reality, God's initiative, God's provision. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all of your everyday human concerns will also be met. Let's pray. Lord, I want to trust that you see me and know my anxious thoughts. You've never faced a problem you couldn't solve or a need you couldn't meet. So would you give us faith to put all of our hope in you for your good and you know exactly what we actually need. Give us the courage to speak to you honestly and to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to us. Teach us to trust. We're your children. Teach us what that looks like. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. We'll see you next week.